This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. It is the Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms that I mentioned before. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans so that all Met fans can hear this great podcast. If you've been a supporter this whole time, Thank you. This show wouldn't be where it is today without you. I always want you to remember that. I'm here because you listen to this show and you love listening to it. Subway to Shea is global. This podcast not only is played in the United States, but also reaches Great Britain, Canada, Australia, Mexico, the Netherlands, Italy, and Colombia. No matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for you each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving a review in the comments section, it could help me to know how to make this show better and how to grow this show every single week. You can also rate the show on Spotify. That's a new feature if you listen to Spotify Podcasts, you can rate the show on there. And don't forget, follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of each week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan-sided network at fan-sided. I just want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up here. I want to apologize For the way I sound right now, I'm overcoming a sinus infection, so my voice sounds a little different. I had to get this episode out this week, kind of postponed after the MLB and MLB Players Association agreed on the CBA. I said, let's wait, because if there's any moves that happen, I want to talk about that as well. So I wanted to get it all in one episode, and that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to do that here right now with our guest who's coming up. So, joining me now on the Subway to Shape podcast is one half of the dynamic duo that comprises of the podcast called Till Mets Do Us Part. We had his co-host and partner, John Sapanaro, on not too long ago. It's my good friend, Matt Ibanez, (laughs) a.k.a. Ibby. How are you, buddy? And I'm doing well. Thank you so much again for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's awesome having you on. You know... I always want to say Ibanez, like Raul Ibanez, mm-hmm. but the correction of your last name is Ibanez. It's actually, I, I, I was going to let it slide, but because you brought it up, it's actually Ibanez. It's Ibanez. 
But you and go, it's okay because on our first episode ever for Till Mets, John said my name wrong as well. So it's all good. I've been dealing with it my entire life. But yeah, everyone always assumes Ibanez because of Raul, but it's actually Ibanez. And that's why I like to keep it with Ibby. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> So I, I've wanted to have you on for a while now, and we've talked about it in the past. You also had me on your podcast, which was a whole lot of fun. I was waiting for the right moment, waiting for baseball to return. And that's why we are here today, because baseball is back. The MLB and MLB Players Association agreed to a new CBA and to end the lockout. So we're getting a full 162-game season. We will get into details of that later. But we got to start off with Mets news because, well, this is a Mets podcast. And they made some moves post-lockout. One huge trade and one solid signing so far. And the big trade... The trade for Chris Bassett. Mets send pitchers JT Jin and Adam O'Laire to Oakland for Chris Bassett. Jin was the number five prospect in the Mets system, according to MLB Pipeline. And O'Laire was the Rule 5 draft pick for the Mets in 2019. Ibby, were you okay with the Mets and what they gave up for Bassett? Actually, I was. And I'm telling you, it's if there's one thing that I know that a lot of Mets fans are always privy to, it's always they want to hold on to as many prospects as they can. But for me, I'm all for a distinct direction. And the fact that it's clear as day, based off of the signs the Mets have done so far, with the years that have accompanied those players, that this team is legit going for it within the next year or two. And giving up someone like a JT Ginn and an Adam Allaire just to show that you are willing to go for it. You get an established pitcher like a Chris Bassett, not a one-year fluke. He's been doing this for the last three years, and he's going to plug in as your number three pitcher behind the likes of Jake and Max. And where you know when you look at him and you look at his stats, he could easily be a two or even a one on other stats. I'm very excited for this move, and I'm all for it. Well, let's look at his stats. So his career record, he's 31-25 and 25 with a 3.47 ERA in 106 games. And then last year... In 2021, 12 and 4 with a 3.15 ERA. He had Tommy John surgery around 2017, so he missed the uh, part of a season. And, um, you know, last year was his best season so far. Last three years, he's done pretty well. 2019, he was 10 and 5. 2020, in the shortened season, 5 and 2. 2021, 12 and 4. Seems like he's really getting into his own. And, like you said, slotting him right behind. You know, uh, Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer is uh, just what the Mets needed because being slotted in this position not only pushes Taiwan Walker back and Cookie Carrasco back to the 4-5, and five, but the move also replenishes the depth, which disappeared quickly last year due to injury. You got to like this move for the many different reasons I just talked about, right? Absolutely. And the fact remains, like like you just said, we're pushing back the likes of Tyler McGill and, and Peterson and Yamamoto and Williams. Like You push those guys back, it adds to the depth. And the fact remains that Chris Bassett is someone that can actually provide legit innings. I know a lot of people assume now with baseball, it's, oh, pitchers only go four or five innings. I'm pretty sure last year he was one of the top pitchers to go at least seven-plus innings throughout the season. So having someone like that with a staff that is a little bit older, a little bit longer in the tooth, but the fact that you're going to have someone that can provide those innings to protect you in case somebody does happen to get hurt, coupled with that depth, I think it's an all-around great move. Yeah, he pitched over 157 innings, and that's something that the Mets have lacked for such a long time. I know Stroman got through that last year, but, you know, 
when these pitchers get taken out so early and we got to go to the bullpen, I always feel that we lack uh, an, an innings eater. And we've lacked that since, I want to say, Bartolo Colon. You know, Bartolo mm-hmm. Colon wasn't the best pitcher, but he always would give you innings. And that helped the young guys out when they were, you know, growing up and, and becoming the star pitchers that some of them came out to be. And I feel like the Mets have lacked that. And I know that we are going to, probably not at the start, get a lot of innings out of, you know, Jake and Max, they're going to probably try to preserve them as much as they can towards the end of the season. And then you got Carrasco, who's coming back from the injury. You got Taiwan Walker, who, who might actually probably get pushed since last year, you know, was him coming back from the, I guess it was the the Tommy John, and that was the most innings he's pitched in since then. So it's good to see bringing in a guy not only to stabilize that middle part of the rotation, but like you said, a guy who's going to give them innings. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think that, you know, having that is so key because when you have, like, I mean, as we're talking, as we're recording this right now, we're still waiting to see how the Mets are going to handle this bullpen. But when you have someone that can eat those innings, preserving that bullpen is key because, again, when you have guys going out there that are only going to be giving you, you know, X amount of innings and you're going to burn out that bullpen early, this team clearly has expectations to make a deep run. And teams and good teams that make a deep run have depth. And obviously, the depth within that bullpen is going to be key as well because if you burn those guys out early in the season it kind of you know it kind of burns you on the back end and we saw that a little bit with someone like a uh, a Castro who was you know lights out for us at the start of the season but as the uh, season got longer and longer it seemed as though he was losing a little bit of steam that he had in the beginning because he was getting tired so you have guys that can eat up those innings use the pen a little bit less so you reap the benefits later on yeah and it, it last year was it was kind of you know I guess cute that they were able to you know, in the beginning, do this whole thing with having an opener like uh, like the, you know, Tampa used to use. But I mean, Tampa didn't have the injuries and problems that the Mets did where the Mets then had to rely on it. And it worked the first half of the season, but then it didn't work the second half because so many injuries happened. The bullpen was so tired. And hopefully now we have a good, stable rotation and that these guys can stay healthy. One thing I want to ask of you is, what do you think of there not being a lefty in the rotation? I always feel like there should be at least one, but this is maybe the first time that I can remember them not having a left-hander at all in the rotation. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I remember a couple episodes ago when we were talking about it on our show, I had mentioned that I thought that Sean Manaya would be the target if they were talking with Oakland because I too said that I would like to see a lefty you know, in this rotation because I mean, it was. It's also thinking about the idea of the lefties that we face within the division, and obviously, you want to make sure that you you handle uh, pitchers like that. But at the same time, you know, a great pitcher is a great pitcher. As long as I have something like that on my team, like a Chris Bassett, I don't care if he's a righty or a lefty, as long as he's getting the job done. But at the same time, I still think that they will try and bring something in in terms of a depth piece. Whether I mean, I, I do think it's definitely needed within the bullpen, but in terms of the uh, the starting rotation itself, maybe they can you know take a flyer on someone and, and let someone and come into camp and see if they could do anything. But I was a little shocked that they did go the all-righty route, but there's still a little bit of time to see if they go after a depth piece. Yeah, and they do have David Peterson. He's probably going to be depth right now in AAA, and that's kind of where I wanted him. I wanted him, mm-hmm. Tyler McGill. I wanted them to start it on AAA. I wanted them to get more reps down there because they basically got rushed up the last two seasons when they were brought up. And then you also got uh, Trevor Williams. You got Jordan Yamamoto, and that's going to make a nice, I-, I guess, that kind of like taxi squad if we need yeah. whoever to come up when when there is injuries yeah absolutely and it's just it's it's such a breath of fresh air because i remember when we 
I think Joe DeMeo has been saying it a lot too. And it was just the idea that this team needs depth. And when you say depth, it's like you got to have good teams have like 10 deep mm-hmm. in terms of pitchers. And this team is finally building properly. It's it's, it's so refreshing to say that, you know, we have a front office that's doing the right thing and it's, it's getting that much needed depth because look, everyone can joke about the Mets, the LOL Mets in terms of, oh, everyone always gets hurt and this and that. But this is baseball. It's not easy. It's 162 games. It's a long season. So you have to have bodies and you have to have not just anybody. You have to have people that can go out there and not embarrass you. So the fact that we have pitchers that we can run out there now that are not the likes of Jared Eikhoff, I'm a lot happier. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the LOL Mets because even looking at Twitter today, it doesn't feel like that. You know, you got teams like the Braves not Mm -hmm. even paying their franchise guy to come back and instead trading for someone who kind of comparable, not Freddie Freeman, but they Mm -hmm. have to trade their number one prospect, their number two prospect, instead of paying the man that deserves it. And then you got Cincinnati. They voted against the CBA in the beginning, and now they're selling off everybody. So like now the Mets are kind of out of that you know that that group of players even with the Yankees what's going on with the Yankees same type of thing Steve has got us in a whole other stratosphere right now and it's it's so it's it's so what's the word I'm looking for deserving beautiful (laughs) deserving we have we have listened and we've had to deal with this for so so long and the fact that we're finally out of those out of those shadows and it basking in this light it's nice granted look spending money is great but we want to win in the end but Mm -hmm. you know when you have things like that i I mentioned it on twitter too like i was shocked like i'm happy believe me i'm happy that freddie freeman is all you know unless they pulled something incredible which I, i doubt that they are he's out of the division i'm extremely happy that a met killer is finally gone but at the same time in terms of just baseball in general it is extremely sad that a team that had their books leak that they made over a hundred million dollars in profit in a world series winning season allows their franchise star to just walk away and i it, it is it, it's, it's bad for the sport and especially coming off of all things we just came out of with the with the lockout yeah i want to read you a tweet about chris bassett let's go back to him this was a mm-hmm. tweet by dave stewart we all know dave stewart at world series MVP for the Oakland A's, three-time world champion. He said this, I love Chris Bassett, his leadership, competitive nature, the man that stopped losing streaks and the next day roots for his teammate. This man never makes excuses. He's a media delight, never dodges the tough question, but you better be ready for his answer. Good luck in the Big Apple. Now, I bring this tweet up because Dave Stewart mentioned his leadership. And the Mets now have their top three starters who personify leadership, not only for the pitching staff, but for the entire team. There's been a huge culture change that started with the hiring of Buck Showalter. We all know what kind of leader he is. And the rest of the Mets acquisition so far this year is the same. Do you agree with how this culture is being changed? I felt last year something was off. I've never felt this way before about a Mets team. Something was off last year, and I kind of understand why they changed the players around. Yeah, I think a term that I've been using a lot on the show has been the adult in the room. And and it just came across, and I agree with you, that there was this odd feeling last year about how the team was being bantered about and talked about and how they handled things. And it just seemed as though there wasn't a true leader. Look, we love Pete. We view him as a leader. We love we love Frankie. We assume he's a big leader as well. But sometimes you need other people in that room that can really carry that banner and just allow other people to do what they do. And that's, you know, be great 
baseball players. And the fact that this team is finally assembling a roster that is not only just win now, like I mentioned before, but it's assembling a group of people that are professionals and they, they know that they know what they're here to do and they're going to, you know, cheer each other on, support each other and just do what they have to do on a night in and night out basis to try and win. And I think that it's so weird to us because we're not used to that. And we're so used to having things play out in the media and we're so used to having things being a joke. And now that we have professionals, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, again, I'm not trying to take away from the guys that we love, like Pete and Frankie, like I just said, but just the fact that you're bringing in champions like a Max. You're bringing in leaders like a Chris Bassett. You're bringing in people that are well-respected from organizations like a Marte and a Kana. Like you're bringing in people that can help mold this culture that you've been that you've been talking about for years, but never truly being able to put together. And now it seems like it's finally, you know, the puzzle pieces are finally coming in place, and it's a beautiful thing. And hopefully, it trans, it, it, uh, you know, turns into some wins for us. And and not only are they leaders on this team, but they're respected around baseball, like Max Scherzer. I mean, obviously. Obviously, he was kind of the big piece of the puzzle when it came to the CBA negotiations. You never really, rarely heard about Tony Clark as much as you did about Rob Manfred. But the the person leading the negotiations for the Players Association, all you heard about was Max Scherzer. And you would see Francisco Lindor there. Even Brandon Nimmo was there as well. And these guys, you know, represent the players and... You know, Buck Showalter was always that player's manager and how he handled a tough situation in uh, Baltimore and how he handled Arizona, Texas, and where he started off with the Yankees. It's just all these pieces coming together. It just feels right. Absolutely. And I, I just, what makes me happy about it is, is with Buck, I feel that it takes everything away from the off field and with how this team's being put together. But most likely coming back to Buck, having someone like him being able to speak after a game and just, it keeps everything with the focus being on the field. I don't think, at least I hope. Again, it is the Mets, so we, 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 we do have our, our downfalls here and there. But I hope that with someone like Buck at the helm, it just, on a night-in and night-out basis, it's just talking about what's going on on the field. What could have been better here? We're succeeding here. We're doing this. We're doing that. Whatever it may be on you know throughout this 162, I like the fact that it's just going to be baseball. And that's what I think I've been wanting for so long because I get so tired, and I'm sure you do as well, and all Mets fans do, when it's everything but the baseball. And I think this year it's going to be about the baseball and the baseball only. Yeah, and you bring up a great point of how they've handled things, even the front office, even Billy Epler and even Steve Cohen. Look at the whole situation with Jacob deGrom right now. Just came out that he is going to opt out of his contract. And right away, Steve Cohen says that he's going to hold off and we're going to talk about it at the end of next season. Case closed, period. There, That way there's no worries about what the contract's going to feel like or worries like how we were dealing with Francisco Lindor's contract situation, even Michael Conforto last year. No worries about that. It's just worrying about baseball this year. Even DeGrom said it during his press conference. Just wants to worry about baseball. He wants to stay a Met. Hopefully it happens. Hopefully he stays healthy and they get this deal done. But right now it's about this 2022 Mets team. And I thought that that was great because you can tell even on like Twitter, I think Anthony DeComo saying, yeah, just a liner of, of, you know, they're not eager to, no, that's not it. It's, 
they're just not going to do it right now. They're going to wait until the end of the season. There's no reason, and again, there's no reason to do it right now because they're coming off of a lockout. It's kind of a sprint towards the start of the season and, and even getting through the spring right now. So the focus, like you just said, is on the 2022 season. That's what you're focusing on. You put the contract to, the, to bed, you put it to the side, and you, and you revisit it back in the offseason because, look, there's a lot to be proven still for Jake coming off of what happened to him last year, seeing how he holds up. So it's very business-like, which what we have as an owner is a businessman who wants to just say, hey, we'll talk about this at the end. You're going to pitch on this contract. We'll revisit it. I know you want to be here. We'll have the conversation when we have to. But right now, let's focus on, uh, you know, let's focus on the season. Let's focus on the team. All right, fair enough. Any other Mets team prior to this ownership group and this front office as it's assembled, it would, like you said, it would have been an entire talking point the entire year. And there's no point because with how this team's being built, the focus is not about next year or the following year. The focus is on this year and trying to win. And I'm fine with that. And you mentioned kind of like how the Wilpons used to handle things. I wrote a tweet, I don't know, a couple days ago, how much I love what we're seeing from this front office because they're not leaking anything. Did anyone ever think we were getting Mark Canna or Eduardo Escobar or Sterling Marte, even um, Max Scherzer? No one thought we were getting him. This Bassett trade came out of nowhere. And I feel like the media is having a hard time comprehending how this organization has now changed the way it does stuff. I'm pretty sure while Steve Cohen was a, a minority owner, saw everything that was going on. And while he was getting ready, he was going to make sure that he nipped all this stuff. And so far, he's done that. I know we had the little issues at the beginning of last season, and I feel like he's taken care of that. And now we've moved on. And the way he handles signings, and sometimes he'll leak it himself. I just think it's mm-hmm. awesome the way that they do it. Where to the point is that I don't even follow a lot of these media, MLB media guys and, and trying to break news or rumors. I just wait to see what Steve's going to say. Yeah, and it's, I mean, with the way that the Mets used to be, it was almost as if it was like a submarine with a with a screen door uh, as the main <laughs> entrance. That's the way it was. But but now, because everything, like they move in silence. Like they're working the phones and they're doing everything. So I, I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I kind of tune out everything with with uh, with all the, the even the main guys even the ones that I, I really respect like the Rosenthal's and, and people like that and the Feinstein's like there's no point because I don't think that there is news for them to really break or rumors to break for the Mets because it hasn't happened to this day like I was floored when the Marte tweet came out by passing like I had no idea that this team was even truly after him and then all of a sudden Pass just comes out of nowhere he's like oh yeah four years by the Mets so whatever it was 78 million I was like what I was I was completely shocked but that really set the tone in terms of things are different now we're not going to hear things and I love it that way and I, I pleaded the same thing it might have been yesterday or two days ago just saying how this is truly a breath of fresh air for Mets fans and I think it's still somewhat of a somewhat of a shock for a majority of them because again they're not used to this they, they're they used to having everything out in the news everything out in the open but this how this is being done this is how real and true front offices operate yeah I think what the Wilpons never realized they always wanted to be the headlines in the back of the pages but you don't get headlines just for rumors you got 
to get headlines for making some big deals, and they never did that. No, they never did. It was always the the classic, oh, well, we tried, or, oh, we did this just to show you that we are trying to win, and it was always nonsense like that. So, uh, you know, the, the true Mets fans out there always read through that BS, and uh, thank God we are on to bigger and better things. Well, the Mets did make a signing. The Mets signed Adam Adovino, one-year, $4 million deal, according to multiple sources. He's going to be put into the bullpen. What are your thoughts on him being an addition to the bullpen? Uh, I'm fine with it. I do think that we still need to get a lefty uh, in that pen uh, with the, obviously with the loss of Lupa. In terms of Adovino himself, look, I know he's not the same guy that he was in Colorado. I know he's fallen off a little bit. and I, I think he got rocked a little bit last year too. But in terms of the advanced numbers, I was looking at some of the some of the graphs on him, and the slider's still there. And if this is a guy that you're looking at and saying, this is going to be your replacement for, for Familia, and I say, okay, this is a guy that can come in and can throw that slider and, you know, kind of be the guy that you pick and choose your spots based off of whoever's coming up and, you know, where you can utilize that. I think the fact that the analytics are being a lot more driven with this team now is going to be a, a, a big thing and probably what played a role in why he was uh, signed for a a cheap deal one year at $4 million. But him being someone that come in in a spot, fifth or sixth inning, I have no issue with it. And again, it was for extremely cheap money. Uh, do I expect him to be the lights-out guy that he was in Colorado? Not really. But if he can just come in and, and, and not give me a heart attack the way that Familia used to do, I'm okay with it. And you look at where he's played. Obviously, Colorado, which is not easy to pitch in. Yankee Stadium is a bandbox. But he's played... You know, for the Yankees, he's played for Boston. Those are two big markets. He's coming to City Field where it's a pitcher's ballpark. So maybe, you know, we'll see a change. Obviously, relievers change every year. So mm -hmm. very fickle. As hard as it was to lose Aaron Loop, and he had one spectacular season. I don't see him replicating that, especially in the American League next year in that AL West. I don't see him replicating the same type of uh, performance. I, I do feel like the Mets last year, with how they used him in only certain situations, that it kind of catered to him. He did get big outs. He was a big important factor. But I, I do feel like the Mets, they need more than one lefty in the bullpen. And a couple of them are already off the board today. Uh, Brad Hand signed with the Phillies. Um, I think Deakman the other day signed with uh, the Boston Red Sox. Mm -hmm. All that's left, I think, is Tony Watson and um, Andrew Chafin from, I think he was on the Cubs and he was in Oakland. Which mm -hmm. one of these two guys do you think is the best fit for the Mets? Or is there someone that I'm missing that you think that they should look into? Well, I, I, I think I really, I read the other day they're, they're going to give Claudio, who's there right now, a shot uh, to potentially be somebody. But in terms of the guys that are out there to sign, I've been on Chafin for a while. I was I thought that that was a, a person that they would really try and attack last year at the deadline. It didn't happen. Um, but he's the guy that I think is the one you should go after. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm also still very curious because of, you know, with so many pieces that are still out there and obviously the Mets still holding on to to some of the potential trade pieces that we've heard a lot about, whether it's Dom or Jeff or JD, that maybe they're going to try and go elsewhere and bring somebody in. I've always thought the idea 
of calling up Minnesota and going after Rodgers, Taylor Rodgers, was something that might be on the docket. Um, maybe it still is. I don't know. I know the Twins are wheeling and dealing a lot right now, so I'm not sure really if they're, you know, trying to win, doing whatever they can. I know the, I know the Central is uh, is kind of up for grabs with, uh, with the White Sox up top over there, but that was always somebody that I thought could be a potential. But in terms of just straight-up signing, I'm all for going after uh, Andrew Schaefer. Once again, I'm here with Matt Ibanez. I got it right this time. <laughs> co-host of the podcast till Mets do his part which is a part of the chop sports media make sure to check it out as they had some great interviews so far with Turk Wendell Ty Kelly Jay Harwood so much more make sure to check that podcast out let's go to the cba let's talk a little cba i know we did it when i jumped aboard with you guys i think we spent most of the show i don't even think we talked mets as much as we did the cba that time but let's talk oh, we about talk, we talked a lot of glenn sherlock you know and forget. the uh, the, the <laughs> legendary glenn sherlock and i'm pretty sure he'll come up again in the future this cba that they agreed on uh, there's so much to it right i mean you have mm-hmm. the the minimum salary for the players you got the competitive balance tax which a lot of people now calling the Steve Cohen tax and uh 230 million going all the way up to 244 million in 2026 what do you think of this tax man because you know we talked about it earlier you know you got teams like the Braves teams like the Reds they're not spending what are they doing with the money that they're getting you know Cohen will pay this tax he doesn't care and then these guys are going to get this money and then probably put it in their pockets. Yeah, it's it's look, I, as long as the, the money keeps going up, I'm I'm okay. I mean, I, it, it's frustrating because like you just said, you have teams like we just saw today as a prime example. The world champions are trying to cut money in a sense. We're watching the Reds literally trying to trade their entire team. We're watching Oakland trade guys away. It's sad because, again, these teams are still making money. And it's it's funny as those negotiations were going on, you, you get the leak that comes out that you know MLB just signed a deal with Apple and that's another you know rights thing that they're getting a whole bunch load of cash for so they're making money hand over fist and and people just continue owners continue to cry poverty in there oh well, we're not you know it's based off of markets and this and that look no one told you to become an owner no one told you to do any of this but you chose to and by doing so you should be spending to try and win because I thought that that was the name of the game but clearly the name of the game for some owners is about protecting that bottom line and trying to turn a profit. Once again, I'll say it again, the fact that the the uh, the Atlanta Braves profited over $100 million last year and chose to not really engage or try to keep the face of their franchise, I think that speaks more than volumes. But uh, the fact that you know, we are a part of a team now that has a name associated with this CBT and the Cohen tax and, and, you know, not a lot of teams that are truly going to go that high outside of maybe three or four teams, but it's good to be on the, uh, the side that's actually spending money. But again, I'm glad that the lockout is over. I'm glad that everything got handled and we'll deal with this another five years. But at the same time, I think you're still going to see teams trying to be a, uh, be cheap and try to pocket as much money as they can. Yeah, and I feel like nothing really changed, even if they brought it up just a little bit. And and the fact that they call it, call it the Cohen tax, 
you know, you got a team out in L.A. that's about to go after Freddie Freeman. Like, what about them? They <laughs> yeah. they spend yeah. a lot of money, too. The thing that bothers me is they always want to go after the teams that spend more money. But to me, if you're spending more money on your team, you're bringing in more revenue, not just for the team, but for Major League Baseball. There should be mm-hmm. a floor that these teams should yes. have to, you know, at least $100 million that they should need to spend. Show your books. Show that you're spending. If you're not spending on the team at least $100 million after i don't know five six years you might have to uh, you know sell the team or something or like when these impending owners are coming in they got to go through some kind of screening or something that they're going to spend on these teams because this is getting crazy that most of these teams like the pirates and the orioles we just mentioned the reds you know they're just pocketing all this money it's crazy yeah and i don't understand why they're I i guess they're upset because it's becoming more and more of a spotlight on them because look if these owners that want to spend are putting money out there and they're paying that tax and then that tax gets flushed back down to the to the people that are being cheap because you know they're going over said tax i don't know what you're complaining about because you're getting more money into your pocket but they're getting upset now because they're being called out more so that's what's it's it's, it's somewhat making them look bad and they don't like that well i say how about you just try to compete and spend some money if there's one thing that i was like and i was you know pro player the entire way but they should have fought more for the idea of a floor but with them obviously the owners would have combated that by saying oh well if you want a floor then we're going to put an actual cap even though everyone knows that these taxes are acting as a soft cap for the league in general based off of how they operate but i can go on and on about this but you know the idea that the Cleveland, uh, uh the yeah the cleveland guardians guard i gotta get used to saying that the cleveland guardians <laughs> are, you know, owned by the fourth richest owner in the sport, the Dolans, and they have a opening day roster that's making less money than Max Scherzer. So I and, and I hate when people blame Max Scherzer for that. That's not his fault. He got paid because he's a generational talent. He's a Hall of Famer and he got paid before what he's done in his career, what he still plans on doing. It's his fault that Cleveland is choosing not to pay anybody because they're crying poor, which I think is ridiculous. When yeah, you have the fourth you, richest owner in the sport. When you have the fifth richest owner in baseball and your payroll is last in baseball i mean that's a red flag they should be monitoring that but you know it is what it is i i guess i don't want to get too much into like the numbers there's just so much numbers that was being thrown across i mean i i was starting to get a headache after a week of going back and forth on twitter and watching them not accept this or them accept that and it was just it's just mind-blowing how many things that they had to go through Cool things that I thought, you know, we're finally getting the DH. So universal DH throughout the entire league. On top of that, next year, I think that all the teams are going to get to play each other. I know Howie Rose doesn't like that, but what are your thoughts on the DH finally becoming universal and now every team playing each other um, starting in 2023? I am all about everyone playing everybody. I think it makes sense, so I, I have no issue with that. And obviously in terms of the DH, I'm, I'm excited because, you know, the idea of ALNL I think died a long time ago. And I say that because, you know, the differences in leagues and the people worrying about, oh, you know, managers, you know, in the NL actually managed versus 
you know, people in the AL didn't have to worry about it so much. I think it died a long time ago because when when analytics became more and more prevalent in the sport, I feel like a lot of teams started building their teams the exact same way. So there wasn't really a difference in the leagues anymore. And when you couple that with how much top-end pitchers are being paid and you want to protect them because they are an investment for you because you're giving them a lot of money and it helps to get the most out of them, protecting them. So when you see people go out there and getting hurt and swinging and hurting an oblique or running the bases and pulling a hamstring and then you lose them for two plus weeks and that turns into a month or whatever, that is not good for the game. You know, and that could be anybody. It could be Jacob DeGrom, it could be Max Scherzer, it can be, you know, whoever. It doesn't matter. But just taking that away and, and adding, you know, more jobs and allowing players to have longer lifespans within this sport, I think is a good thing. Also this season, they're getting rid of the seven inning double headers, which I didn't mind, to be honest with you. I was okay with that. And I mean, it's a long game, man. Baseball is a mm-hmm. long game. There's no time limit. I didn't mind the seven inning double headers. The thing that I did mind was the automatic runner on second base. And that's also oh. gone. So I don't mind that. But they were talking as early as today about bringing that back, which I yeah. hope they don't do. Yeah, I, in terms of the 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 ghost runner or whatever you want to call it, like I I absolutely hated that because it's a privilege when you're in those late innings to get somebody in scoring position to put yourself in a shot, you know, with a, with a shot to win a game. So I hated that so much. But I'm with you. I didn't mind so much the 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 seven inning double headers. It got weird, uh, like when you're watching and then like forgetting it's a double header and then realizing <laughs> yeah. it's it's like it's the sixth and you're like, why is why is so and so in or why is Diaz already warming up? And I'm like, oh my god. It's only seven innings. Like I did that so many times last year because I, I just I couldn't get used to it. But in terms of the timing and 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 games being done quicker, like yeah, I, I was all for that. So those going away, you know, I'm, I'll probably miss those. But you know, I I do love baseball in the end. But I'm with you. I, I definitely probably got spoiled a little bit by those uh, by those quicker games. Well, they are going to have a joint competition committee for the beginning of 2023 with other changes: the pitch clock, defensive shifts, larger bases. All automatic ball strike system. Any of these interest you? Uh, I mean, I'm all for having a committee in terms of trying to figure out how to make the game better. I, as long as it's, you know, consisting of people that are still playing the game and it, and it makes sense. Like, I, obviously, I think the pitch clock is going to happen trying to, again, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. Like, the one thing I, I don't like about the idea of pitch clocks and things like that is I always feel like baseball is trying to appease the people that are never going to watch their sport, and they're, and they're constantly trying to reach that person by shaving off, you know, 10 minutes of the game thinking it's going to be like this this crazy revelation. People are like, oh, my God, games are 10 minutes short, and I'm, I'm going to start watching now. Look, I know that you want to reach more people, but I think that there are other ways to reach them, like embracing your talents and 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 better marketing and things like that but again that's an entirely different conversation i'm for a committee to try and make things better within the game bigger bases whatever that's fine i, I have no issue with that and uh the shift the shift stuff is obviously the biggest gripe of a lot of people we had uh craig goldstein on from baseball prospectus uh, the, uh on our last show and he was talking about it and how he was against the idea of uh, of banning of the shift and I, I i mean i understood where he was coming from because it's like an in-game decision you're kind of taking away the strategy um, of a team. So I kind of understood where he was coming from. But for me, the idea of allowing hitters to be hitters again in terms of, you know, not having to hit with 
an entire side, you know, filled with people, meaning I, I think that Joey Gallo right away where like everyone's on the one side and there's no one else <laughs> on the other. And then it's easy for, for the average Joe who's sitting on his couch with a beer in his hand saying, well, why don't you just hit it the other way? Well, yeah, it's a lot easier said than done, especially when, you know, the pitcher's going to be pitching you a certain way to make sure that you can't go the other way or going to put it on your hands. Or like, There's so many things about that. But uh, in terms of the shift going away, I think I'm okay with it. I I, I, I don't think I'm going to – I think it's going to be better for the game in the long run, but I, I also understand why people are against it. Maybe I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Give us a little insight on what you're working on next. Make sure to share your social media handles as well. I know you got a big guest coming up this week. I appreciate you having me on. Seriously, I do. I love I love collaborating with you, and I hope we do it more in the future. Uh, yeah, we got a lot going on. Uh, we're going to keep on doing bigger and bigger things as the season rolls around. We have a couple of giveaways to do still, though. Some really cool stuff that we're going to be doing uh, within the coming months. Uh, for the show this week, I'm very excited. It's going to drop on Thursday. We're going to have a conversation with SNY analyst and former Met Anthony Recker. We just got him to come on to the show, so that's going to be a lot of fun, and that's going to be dropping on Thursday of this week, so I'm, I'm really pumped up about that. And yeah, in terms of finding us, obviously we're, Till Mets Do Us Part, we're on all the platforms, Google, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, we're everywhere. Uh, in terms of finding us on socials uh the show name so we're on twitter and instagram at till mets do us part you can find me on twitter uh, as well as instagram at poison p-o-i-s-o-n underscore ibby i-b-b-y and of course shout out to my partner who i can't do this without john sapanaro same thing with him on instagram as well as twitter uh and it's just his name at John Sapanaro. Abby, thanks again so much. I really appreciate this. And we are definitely going to have another conversation real soon. You take care, man. You as well, man. I appreciate you. That was Matt Ibanez. Matt is the co-host of the podcast Till Mets Do Us Part alongside John Sapanaro. The podcast is a part of Chop Sports Media. Make sure to check it out wherever you listen to your podcast. Ibby mentioned it everywhere. Apple, all the podcast outlets. Make sure. Check out Till Mets do us part now my final thoughts before this train leaves the station pete alonzo got into a car accident he was talking about it during the presser when he came to camp he was heading from tampa to spring training facility and he got hit car flipped over three times you could see a video of the wreck from his wife Haley on instagram she posted all those videos and um thankfully pete and everyone involved is safe and okay that's what's most important he was very shook up during the press conference but i'm glad he's okay no injuries and everything is all good for the polar bear so great to see him doing well taiwan walker underwent right knee surgery in january so he is a little behind schedule according to mlb.com's anthony decomo the surgery was a right knee debridement procedure which is a surgery that removes bits of tissues and cartilage to reduce pain and movement Buck Showalter said he's a little behind schedule. He thinks he's going to be ready for the beginning of this season. I think Taiwan Walker is in for a huge season. I think he is one of the guys to look out for. Like we mentioned, he's going to be slotted in that number four slot in the rotation. And I think he's going to have a big year this year. It's his walk year, and I think we got big things coming from Taiwan Walker. Also, Starling Marte has a sore oblique. Didn't participate in workouts. Buck says the x-rays came back good. I think they need another outfielder, to be honest. Like what Pilar 
are provided, there's still some available options out there. Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario from the Braves, both of them on that World Series team. Chris Dickerson. There's options out there. The Mets need depth, and let's see if they'll provide it. So that is it. I thank you for listening to this episode and for dealing with me today and my deep voice because of this uh, infection that I had, this sinus infection. So I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate, again, Matt Ibanez, Ibby, I like to call him, and we call him on till Mets do his part. appreciate him coming on. He's going to be on again soon. Please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Rate the show from one to five stars. Hopefully you're giving me five. And leave a comment in the review section. It only helps me to help this show grow each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify. It's a new option. If you're on Spotify Podcasts, you can click on the little star button and rate the show there. Follow Subway to Shea on Twitter and Instagram. At Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shake. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can check out my articles for Rising Apple as I will leave the links in the description of this episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank Matt A.B. Ibanez. It was great having him on, and we're going to do that again. Like I mentioned, I appreciate you all so very much, and thank you for sticking with me through this sinus infection. That will do it for this week's podcast. Hopefully next week I will feel a whole lot better. Hopefully more Mets news, maybe a couple of bullpen signings, maybe another bat. I don't know. Hopefully we get something going on, but one thing's for sure. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.